recording live from the podcast that knows quarterback hand size is the same as NBA wingspan. It's the Seahawks Nest. That's right, dude. You did it. We're going to get some wide bodies in here. We're going to get some uh, some ball borders. We're going to make more uh, 1970s basketball references. That's uh, that's when I was negative 15. Let's say you're going to wear some very uncomfortably small shorts. Very, oh, very I already small. am. Actually, these are these are really big shorts. I don't know what the hell I'm talking. Yeah, about. Let's say that shorts. is that is not true. You have to be able to see at least one ball sticking out in order to be '70s NBA shorts. All right, so that's Kevin Garver. Uh, we're joined by Eric Ronnebeck. <laughs> Eric, how hello. you doing? Hello, hello. And uh, I am Nathan Santo, and we are going to be breaking down some stuff today for you. But first, we're going to get into it like we always do. We're going to start it off with Seahawks news of the week, and uh, here's here's things that's happened. All right. Um, so, Davis Webb, this is going to lead us into it, Kevin. Davis Webb visited the Seahawks. Borderline yep. first-round quarterback, Davis Webb. How do you feel about this? I feel like him being a borderline first-round quarterback tells you everything you need to know about quarterbacks in this draft. All right, so let's get into it. We went, we, I thought this would be a good opportunity, a good segue into us. Just talking a little bit about the general quarterbacks in this draft, maybe which ones are kind of the the cream of the crop as the macho man would say and uh <laughs> which one of that which yeah. one's Ooh, yeah the cream rises to the top <laughs> you can't see us pointing with one shaky finger yes. anyway. uh, then uh then which, maybe maybe which ones you know the seahawks might take a peek at although i did mention a few last uh last podcast so kevin let's just start with this who is your favorite 2017 nfl draft quarterback prospect and Kevin, I want to know where you think they will most likely or could land. I think there are four quarterbacks that I could see going in the first round. If I were the leader of an NFL franchise, zero of them would be going in the first round. I just want to put that out there right away. I have one. I have one that I think actually could be a first round. I think your one is not my one because my number one quarterback is Mitch Trubisky out uh, of you can't North call Carolina. Mitch anymore. It is Mitchell now. He said he's fine either way. What about General Mitchell right, Trubisky? That's what you want to hear someone say. I'm the leader of this team, and I'm fine. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> that's what I want to hear him say. I'm the leader of this team, and I'm going to be super uptight about whether you use the shortened or elongated version of my first name, because that's least, important. At least be decisive about what you want people to call you. Like, it's, it's just such a it's such a weird thing. Like Everyone has a preference. You know, like I... I know Eric would strongly prefer not to be called by his actual first name. This is true. Kevin probably wouldn't like it if people were bombing around calling him Kev. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, why. It only took me two years to learn that. why he doesn't have a strong opinion about what people call him. Yeah, I mean, Eric hates being called Johannes. It's true. <laughs> All right, so what do you like about Mitch Trubisky? Good. Mitch Trubisky has... We're going to call him Mitch because it's a sign of disrespect. We're going to call him Mitch because it's one less syllable. Um, Mr. Bisky, in my opinion, has a higher ceiling than the only other first-round quarterback that I see, which is Deshaun Watson. He has a big arm. He's mobile. His mechanics are good. And he makes... The difference between him and Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is that Mr. Bisky has a clean, quick release. And a better deep ball arm than Watson. So I think his potential is higher. He knows how to make reads, and he was asked to read the whole field in the offense that he played in. So I'd rather not start him right away, but he's a 
he is one of like three quarterbacks that can make a decent read in this draft. Here's my problem with Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky, and it's that 98% of all snaps he took were from the shotgun, and it's it's there's going to be a learning curve. It's not going to be like, hey, Mitch Trubisky comes into the NFL and he can actually do something right away. That's going to be a literal disaster. Uh, and so, so for me, I mean, he has the physical tools. I agree with that. But he, there is going to be a learning curve with Mitchell Trubisky, and a lot of teams, like if if he just goes to San Francisco, and then all this, and he's just getting thrown to the wolves. I mean, that's a career ruiner. He's now Brock Osweiler, you know, and it's and it's like, I wish that he could get picked by a team that where he could sit because yep. I do think the physical talent is there, and he just needs to practice being in a actual NFL style, taking the ball from under the center offense. But he he's not going to get that. That's not what's going to end up happening. He's going to get picked twelfth or tapped by the Browns, or he's going to be picked by the Jets. And he's I mean, probably going in the first ten. I mean, he's not going to. That is just going to be kind of a. It's going to be kind of a disaster. That's that's my opinion on, on Mitch Trubisky, and I, it's too bad because, like I said, like you said, there's there's stuff there that makes you think that this could be really good. He's accurate too on yes. the throws he does make. He's extremely accurate, and a lot of people will make a lot about him dinking and dunking down the field, but he had 8.4 yards per attempt. His yards per attempt numbers were really respectable. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you, you throw a bunch of medium-range passes from the shotgun, that's, uh, I mean, that's a high-impact offense in college football, right? Yeah, like, and you can throw outs and slants, and those are the two that you're really looking a lot for. I agree that adjustment to being under center is going to be a thing for and him. And unlike a couple of the other guys who are, like, borderline first-rounders, uh, Mitch Trubisky doesn't throw like a, a billion interceptions either. Yeah, <clears throat> all the other guys have like serious uh, underthrow issues that lead to interceptions, or just kind of uh, in- inconsistent accuracy that leads to interceptions. I think none of the other top quarterbacks in this draft had less than ten interceptions last year, which is like not great for a college crop of quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean Brad Kaya had less, and Nate Peterman had less, but it was in a lot less attempts. I mean, right. their touchdown numbers were also, yeah, you know, Kaya, much lower than a guy like Deshaun Watson. Kai had 27 touchdowns. So I'm like not, yes, I was kind of discounting him because I feel like he's way out of the first round now at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's not a first round quarterback. The first round, the first round potential quarterbacks are Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky. I think that's the clear top tier of this draft. And I think those are the only two that are probably guaranteed to get their name called in the first day. And they're the, the only draft. two that I think for any reason should. I would love to see, you know, like New Orleans take Mitch Trubisky. That would be you perfect. Know, a team like that where he can sit behind Drew Brees. Or even San Diego. Learn from the master. San Diego would be another great fit. Just learn from a master, you know? Cause, yeah. Because, like, the, the bad case scenario is that he ends up never learning how to throw an NFL offense, and then he's just like... Well, it's like... Know, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's Colin Kaepernick, you know what I mean? Like, I think best case... I think worse... Uh, <laughs> if he gets thrown in year one... He probably looks something like um, Carson Wentz did. I think their backgrounds are somewhat similar. They would look fairly similar, which is a quarterback that can flash everything, but in the end is very limited. What about the Rams quarterback? He sat for like eight games. What's that guy's name? Goff? Yeah. What do you think of him? Trubisky has... Comparatively. I think Trubisky is a better pro prospect than Goff. I think Goff, Goff has potential. He could still come around, but the problem is that there's nothing on that offense for him to work with. And I mean, at least at Philadelphia, the staff got better for little, him. There is a little bit for him to work with. Jared Goff is just getting hammered all game. Yeah. And like that that Rams offensive line's horrible. Their running game was terrible last year. I know people think like 
there's this idea out there that Gurley was is good. He was terrible last year. One of the worst running backs after contact in the whole NFL. So your number one, I take it, is Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I just think Deshaun Watson is ready to play in the NFL. I feel like he could jump right in like Teddy Bridgewater or Dak Prescott and be moderately successful. I'm not sure that he's quite ready to like make the leap. Like He's not going to be a first-year like Cam Newton-style like instant success. But if you put him in the right situation with the right tools around him... Uh, and also, I mean... He seems just like a, a really good high character guy. Like he, he went, lost the national championship, and they and that team worked super hard. They got back to the national championship and they won. You know, and it's like stuff like that makes. I know it sounds stupid and it's like really cliche, but he he is leads teams to wins and like he's an accurate passer. Like sixty eight percent, he completed sixty eight percent of his passes, which is one of the highest completions percentages in this whole draft. Um, he runs really well. He averaged over five yards a carry. Um. I mean, it's just he's an all-around really good athletic quarterback, and that for me, for Deshaun Watson, like kind of the sky's the limit. Like I don't know if he's like more. I mean, I don't think he's quite as punishing a runner as uh, Newton, so maybe he's closer to like Mariota on the uh, running quarterback scale. But either way, I mean, it's it's there's definite talent there, and uh, I don't know. I think he'll go in the top twelve. I, I don't think, think I do not Watson... think he escapes. Cleveland at twelve. I think there's no way he gets past that point. In the Unless draft. that's where Trubisky's taken. Yeah, Do you think that's, that's the time where he does. The only thing that could happen is if neither of them get picked in the top twelve. But and I, if that happens, Kansas City's licking their chops for him if no one trades up. Oh yeah, because that's a you're talking about somebody who would make a great fit in an Andy Reid offense. I would agree with you. I think Deshaun Watson, out of all of the true quarterbacks, is by far the most dynamic runner. We're talking about an A+. plus. I think that Mariota comp on the run is very accurate. This is a guy who, on the hoof, will hurt you and will hurt you badly um, Eric, as a defense. Have you seen Deshaun Watson play? Because he played in the two straight yes. national championships. Yeah, those are, that's, I, I, I know him more than Trubisky. What, yeah. what do you think about Deshaun Watson? I, I saw pro in him, like a guy. When I watch college football, one reason why I don't watch a lot of college football is I think it's men versus boys. And also... The college ball isn't that much different than the pros, and in some guys' hands, it just looks like a beach ball being thrown. With Watson, it looked like an NFL player throwing a football. Um, he wasn't as accurate as uh, I did a little scouting before the the Final Four in college, and uh, I, he wasn't as accurate as the the experts told me he was. I didn't feel. Um, he didn't impress me, but he looked like he could be a pro. He looked really good, honestly. It here's, just it wasn't like this guy that I was blown away with. Here's the thing about uh, Watson's accuracy. I think it's kind of overblown. The more I like look into him, and that it's that he just ran hot and cold. Like he definitely has like periods where he just like misses a couple throws in a row, but then he'll nail like fifteen in a row. So like what, and, Jameis Winston? And I, I just, I don't know, like. I take it over a lot of these, this draft especially. Like a lot of these guys are just like more, way more inaccurate or just as bad. Plus, I just like the offense that Clemson ran. I think it's, I don't know, it's just more. Seem he's working with other NFL talent. It just seems similar. It's going to be transferable over to the NFL. What he's doing. Watson has a few clear limitations. One does come from the offense. The offense he was in asked him to read one half of the field on a given play sure, yeah. and pretty much ignore the other half. That's something that he's going to have to work a lot with an NFL offensive coordinator on. But that's something that he's a smart kid. I think he'll pick up. 
And the thing is, they, they asked him to go through two progressions and then run, usually. was that That's kind of how their offense worked. It was like, do these first two progressions and run. But there's no reason. if He was always doing a good job de- making decisions on those first two progressions, I felt like. Yeah, and I feel so, like the only other thing is that he has a tendency to stare down receivers. Yeah. And that's, I think, where you see, you know, he threw 17 interceptions. I'd say at least half of them were because he was just eyeballing his receiver the whole way. And an NFL-style cornerback will punish you for that. But a good NFL coaching staff will coach that out of you. Yeah. I mean, the 41 touchdowns are pretty appealing. Yeah. He has good placement, especially on the short and intermediate passes. Um Nathan actually made another comp that I like, and that's when you talked about Teddy Bridgewater. I think if you look, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have a great deep arm. That was the thing that he was trying to get, and you know, then his career exploded. But if you take that short intermediate passer that is Teddy Bridgewater, and you take a runner in the style of Mariota, I think that is exactly what you're looking at with Deshaun Watson. I agree. And that's a quarterback that can win in the NFL. And there's not jump straight to the top of the heap. But he can win. There's potential in his deep ball, too. Like, he made some good throws. It's, it's just inconsistent. Yeah, he doesn't know how to lead a receiver. Yeah, and I, I think time and familiarity will help with those things. Like, I think he's most ready to do the most in the NFL right away. There's very few. There's nobody in this draft that I feel like is more there than this than Deshaun Watson. I would be surprised if he wasn't at least, you know, moderately successful at some point in his NFL career. Like, you know, maybe leading an eight and eight team or something mm-hmm. like that, or like a really he's thought of as a really good backup. Yeah, that, well, that's like, like the worst case scenario for for Deshaun Watson for me. I have made the Alex Smith comp a lot, and I I think that's one I can still keep. You know, I think Watson could be that gatekeeper for what is a quarterback you can win the Super Bowl with. Don't you just think he's a a little more electric though? Just like I think he most can ways be than Alex. Alex Smith just is like I think he can be. He's it the depends wonder, on how things. He's go. the wonder bread of uh, of quarterbacks. Yeah, I know. still argue that's because the 49ers ruined him. I agree like, with Kevin. He's he, like very tasty. It's wonder bread's very tasty. <laughs> it's like it's an American classic. There's nothing wrong with it, but you cannot survive with just wonder bread. But I feel like you can win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith as your quarterback. Yeah, you, can, you can make a damn good turkey sandwich with wonder bread. I agree. Yeah. All right. So let's go. <laughs> let's go on to the next tier of quarterbacks. There's three. So that's uh, Kaiser, Mahomes, and Webb. Yeah, right. and some people would put Kaya in this group. Uh, we can talk about, we can dismiss, we can be dismissive of him if you'd like. I have another way of putting this. I actually put Nate Peterman in this group. Nate Peterman. Yes. All right. What do you like about Nate Peterman other than the fact that he has the biggest hands in this draft, Kevin? Oh, that's the whole thing I like about. No, um, love me some big hands. I uh, Nate Peterman. What I like about him, first of all, 9.3 yards per attempt. This is a dude who, in the offense he was in, he put the ball out there a bit. And so he doesn't have these gaudy passing totals, but if you look at kind of his efficiency numbers, he he was putting some air under the ball, and I feel like he is a low-ceiling, high-floor quarterback. So if you're looking in, like, round three for, like, your Chad Henney. Oh, I was going to say your bad Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're Chad Henning. Um, <laughs> Which Chad Henning is bad Kirk Cousins. So yeah, really or like, like Matt Moore. <clears throat> one of these guys who's going to be like an A-plus backup. Or like last year, if you look at what the Browns asked um, the quarterback out of uh, USC. Yeah, whatever. Just move on. Uh, Max something. Uh, what they asked him to do. They used eight quarterbacks last year, so, you know. 
Nate Peterman can be a better version of that. So if you're looking at like, I need, um, short and intermediate. And when a guy's open on scheme, you can get it out there to him. Don't make a bunch of mistakes. Slide around the pocket. Be kind of mobile. He's that guy. He's so he's like my favorite guy that I think will actually be drafted in a place that makes sense for him somewhere around round three. Sure. Whereas I think all these other guys are going to get reached on. I think Peterman might even go later than that. The thing that he, that really works in his favor though is you're right. The pro style offense that Pittsburgh runs gives him a head start on everyone else. A team can trust him to play back to back up a decent starting quarterback because he's not going to just have an insane learning curve. And like he'll take care of the ball, guys. Some of these other guys are going to have an insane learning curve in the in their first year, and oh yeah, and Peterman is is not one of those guys. Let's go to the opposite. Can we go to the opposite next? Brad Kaya is that the opposite? Oh, I was going to go Pat, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Okay, gunslinger. Patrick know? Mahomes is the opposite. I just told you that uh, <laughs> Nate Peterman's going to take care of the ball for you. Patrick Mahomes, he's going to throw you forty touchdowns or forty interceptions because this man's mechanics depend completely on play to play. Uh who is? Who is the his major league equivalent at the moment? Is it that is Brett Favre? Oh, okay. No, is that like Blake Bortles? Well, I mean, it could be it could be Brett Favre Brett on good. tons of pills and strung out and playing terrible. Wait, are you saying Jet or... Favre? It's Jet Favre. Okay, Jay Cutler, Kevin. Jay Cutler. I think the Jay Cutler comp everyone, is a, is a really decent Cutler. comp because Patrick Mahomes has the same issue that Cutler did, which is he played on a budget offense that had no other playmakers, and he was the entire offense. And so... And when, when he, he looked, hands off the football, he shrugs. He is really inconsistent in his mechanics, but he's extremely accurate, really mobile. He has every physical skill you want. But And people keep saying that he doesn't operate inside of the playbook. I think that that's taking things out of context. Because really, how are you supposed to operate inside the play? Like That'd be like saying, Russell Wilson moves around too much. It's like, yeah, his offensive line's garbage. He, take, you know. he, t- he just takes a lot of chances. Like, he does. I don't know, He's just, risky. It's like, I don't... I don't know. I Which just, is why I would not take him in the first round. But co- in the second round, with a year to learn from somebody, he needs... If you can coach him up, if he, someone finds a way to coach him up, he could be really good. He needs an Andy Reid or someone to yell at him. He's tall. He's big. Um, He's pretty... I mean, he's accurate on the throws that aren't just like straight up, like, I threw this into double coverage for no reason. He can actually like, make reads. And he makes quick decisions and gets rid of the ball. Can you throw into coverage in the middle of the field? And I don't mean like a, an interception. I mean with, you know, into traffic in the middle of the field. He can, but he has this horrible habit of like, oh, uh, I'm going to shift slightly to the left and fire from my hip. Oh, or, interesting. Oh, and, and throw it like across the field. Too. I'm going to like, he, he, if you look at his feet, he has the weirdest feet. He'll like take hop steps. He doesn't know how to cross his feet in a backpedal. It's like, is he young coach, Matt Hasselbeck? Because that's very similar to Matthew Hasselbeck. I have Hasselbeck no idea did. what I, I can't even make that comp. Okay, um, I don't know. It's it's amazing to me that his college court coach was a quarterback because he looks like no one's ever told him how to be a quarterback. Like he just looks like it looks like you took the most athletic kid on a baseball team and went, hey, "You could throw it far. Go out there and chuck it around." And then he just does. And sometimes it's amazing. He's like Johnny Manziel without a five cent head. He's he's uh he's just really yeah. He just takes all the chances, but like he there's something about the way he throws the ball that is very satisfying to watch. Oh yeah, he's fun to watch. It's like, but he could be a train wreck. (laughs) When his throws are good, they're just real good. So I don't know. I um um Pat Mahomes could be a ten. 
He also could be a one and be out of the NFL in like two years. Yep. Jay because Cutler is my comp for him. I agree. There's, there's no way that, uh, that there's, there's anything could happen. Like the sky and also the floor are the limit. Yes. For, for Pat, Pat Mahomes. That's uh, why I cannot believe people are talking first round. Best of luck to whoever drafts him. Uh, all right. Uh, we've talked about those guys. Uh, Brad Desha- Kaya, Kevin, can we get me to do it now? Oh, how about Deshaun Kaiser real quick? Okay. What, what about Deshaun Kaiser? Deshaun six, Kaiser. Six foot four. He's Byron Leftwich. Tell me you don't big. see it. He's so big. He's Byron Leftwich. He's, uh, his accuracy comes and goes. He's really big. He has this huge sweeping windup that is going to get murdered in the NFL if he can't get rid of it. What do you like about him other than the fact that he's tied for the biggest hands in the NFL? <laughs> <laughs> if he's in an offense with a really good line, he could, he could be something. But honestly, he of all the big prospects, he's the one I believe in the least. I feel like he just... I don't know. He just picks out a guy. It's like, it reminds me of Kaepernick. I like, like Davis way, Webb a little bit more. I at least feel like he, Davis Webb reads the defense. Yeah, I was going to say the way that. But they're the same quarterback, basically. The way that Kaiser reads the defense is just like, here's my guy. I'm going to my guy. I'm throwing to my guy. Oh, I'm, you know, it's just like that. That's it. That's all he does. He's so physically talented, but I just, I just don't see it. I would, if I'm going to take a physically talented guy, I'd rather go with, Trub- that needs work. I'd much rather have Trubisky than. Or Trubisky. even Mahomes. Because at least the upside's a 10. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, Brad Kaya. I feel like we we uh, we should not talk about him now. That would be perfect because that's that's he's just. Okay, so then I have two more. <laughs> oh, you have two. I have one that I love. And I have two Davis quarterbacks Webb. that I want to talk about for the Seahawks. So go ahead and do yours first. Okay, so let's talk about Davis Webb. Okay, because Davis Webb, the Seahawks are apparently interested. What do you like about Davis Webb other than the fact that he's six foot five? Honestly, not that much, and I don't know why we're that interested. He ran a lot of ding and duck. He was under seven yards per attempt. He had 37 touchdowns to 12 picks and a lot of yardage, but it was in like an air raid style offense, and people are talking about him being a first, second round pick, and I just don't see it. I mean, maybe if we can get him in the fifth or the sixth, I guess that's interesting, but man, I'm not really big on him. I feel like he get he gets hung up on his reads and can't get off them. His mechanics break down under pressure pretty bad. I mean, mm-hmm. he he learns playbooks really fast because he learned Cal's playbook in one off offseason and became the starter, and he ended up being the senior bowl MVP. So he takes he's, to coaching well. He's really good at losing starting jobs. So if you want to bring in a guy that They got hurt. And, yeah, he only lost the starting job. Twice. Well, to Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. Who are both good NFL prospects, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, like... He definitely got passed up a couple times. So yeah. if if you like Davis Webb more than Pat Mahomes, like you got to think, well, what was Texas Tech's coach thinking? Because he definitely made that choice. As a college football fan, I often find myself wondering what Texas Tech's coach was thinking. So that might not be the best comp. All right, Kevin, who's your <laughs> who's your uh, secret guy for the Seahawks? Okay, please tell me it's Gerard Evans because that's my secret guy. For the my Seahawks. two guys are Josh Dobbs and Gerard Evans, and which whichever one we can get for a late seven or UDFA. Yeah, I think Gerard Evans is going to be there at the end of the draft. Uh, he's physically toolsy. He's, uh, he's fast. He's strong. Um, he probably shouldn't be in the draft this year, but he is. So, um, he'd be a good guy we could stash away to be our backup. Kind of like the same thing we were trying to do with, uh, quarterback. Trevor Boykin. Trevor Boykin, but it's not really working out because of all the legal problems. I also feel like <laughs> Evans may be a better pure passer than Boykin. Yeah, I could dig that. Um, yeah. He's one of those guys, he's had so limited snaps. Because he, he went to, uh, for what, he had Texas A&M recruited him. He ended up going to Air Force. He tore his ACL. Yep. Um, then went through Trinity Valley State. 
and then had one year at Virginia Tech. He's really played one year of big-time college football. And he played well. I mean, 63.5% completion percentage, threw for 3,500 yards, 29 touchdowns, 8 picks, 8.4 yards per attempt. His numbers mirror like Brad Kaya, Nate Peterman. 12 rushing touchdowns, too. Don't. I, he got, is one of the more dynamic runners. He ran a four eight forty, but he's a natural runner. And he he'll punish people too. Like, yeah, he's big. He's six three two thirty two. That's what I like about him is that he he reminds me of like, you know, the way that like those big quarterbacks, Cam Newton and stuff, just run people over. You know, just slam them, run over. Who's the other guy you want to talk about? Josh. Dobbs. Josh Dobbs. So Josh Dobbs out of Tennessee, six three two sixteen, needs a couple cheeseburgers. Um, needs is, or eats needs. 216. I want to see a little more bulk on 63. Um, he played for another kind of, he never had the full trust his junior and senior year of his coaching staff, which worries you. But also his coaching staff's kind of weird. And if I was a Tennessee fan, his coaching staff would worry me. So that's part of what makes his evaluation difficult. He can make reads. His mechanics are solid. He knows how to look off receivers. But he has these weird things where, like, his ball placement's super mediocre. It's the same problem I have with a lot of these quarterbacks. Like, the ball gets to the receiver, but where it hits them, they have to stop. Or they have to go low to the ground. Right. It's not hitting them in stride. It's not making for an easy catch. It floats. Exactly. That's the way I would put it from watching his. His his long balls float. Yeah, he's definitely more short intermediate. He's a guy, they keep talking because he's such a character guy. Oh, he might go in the fourth, he might go in the fifth. If that's true, I'm out. But if he drops to like seven or UDFA, he's a guy I could see being a really solid backup for a long time. The depth of the defenders in this draft are going to make it hard to draft one of the mediocre quarterbacks in like the fourth or fifth round. Except they're quarterbacks, and people love drafting mediocre quarterbacks. But I agree with you. Gerard Evans is the guy who's that high upside stash him, see what happens. I think I I would love that play. Do you think Gerard Evans is a guy who could be taken in like the fourth or fifth round by a team just on a on a huge reach? I mean, that can always happen. It's it's the draft. I, I feel get... like it's likely with Gerard Evans just because he's he's got that mobile quarterback with skills. It's day three though. Like day three, you never know what's going to happen. Like that's that's why speculating specific players on day three is such a crapshoot. But talented players fall off the bottom of the draft. You know he doesn't have a lot of tape, and huh. he played in an offense that's another one of those aired out. Um, what's the guy's name? Lynch for Denver. Oh, Paxton Lynch? Paxton Lynch. I don't mind that. That's the same offense that Gerard Evans was asked to run. And Paxton Lynch had some trouble adjusting to the reads. But if the Seahawks take Gerard Evans, they're not asking him to come in and start as a rookie. They're asking him to maybe play if he has to. And then you're looking a few years down the road. He could be like a Tyrod Taylor type upside. And then that's a guy who either something happens and he's your starter, or he can be dealt for value. All right, um, so let's uh, let's go over a couple uh, more Seahawks-related news. Uh, Obi Melifonwu uh, met with the Seahawks, one of our, uh, I say, like sneaky favorites that we like. 6'3 uh, defensive back, that sounds up our alley. Yeah, and he's a uh, combination cornerback safety. Uh, he can play both positions. Maybe not outside cornerback very well, but Deshaun Shedd has turned out to be a really good outside corner, and we said the same thing about him. Yep. So it's quite possible that he could end up being an outside corner for us. Uh, Malik McDowell. Visited the Seahawks, which is another good uh, draft prospect that I think is a really great fit for us. Elite tools, questionable motor. 
Um, then we've got Dion Jordan information. Dion Jordan, uh, $640,000. Not one penny of it is guaranteed. Oh, I love that contract. Yeah. Um, when I saw that, I could not have been happier. This is a great upside signing. I'll be honest. Deion Jordan is betting on Deion Jordan with this contract. Yep. He is betting that he can go to the Seahawks and be successful. And I think he's right, to be honest with you. Um, if we're going to use Deion Jordan the same way we use Bruce Irvin, Deion Jordan has all of the physical tools to be successful if he can just keep his head on straight. Yep. And if that happens, he'll give us a really good year. Go out and get us a draft pick for ourselves next year when he gets signed by somebody else for big money. And hopefully this year we pick someone who can kind of train underneath him. Yeah, the worst case scenario is we cut him and we owe him no money. The best case scenario is he plays really good and we get a draft pick for him. I don't think there's there's a, there's any downside in this at, at all. None. Um, Gary Gilliam signed, signed a $2.2 million offer sheet with the 49ers. And uh, the Seahawks are not going to match it. And this he is a one-year deal? to San Francisco. One-year deal. Gary Gilliam betting, Gilliam on, Gary betting Gilliam. on himself. I actually think that's a good idea for him. Yeah, I agree. He's he's not that bad. Uh, I think he's he also got, not that good. He got <laughs> kind of miscast. He's a pretty middle of the road defense uh, offensive tackle. But if you just put him in one spot and make him work that spot, and he he will soak it up. He's a great. He has great physical tools, and I think that he's getting close to being there. And I would not be surprised if he put in a pretty decent season and was like the 20, 20th best left tackle in the league this year for San Francisco, which would make him way better than our left tackles last year. He wasn't a left. He wouldn't be their left tackle, though. They have Staley still, right? Uh, okay, fine, right. Then he'll be... I I don't know if he's... Maybe he's ready to play right tackle. He was looked lost at the beginning of the season last year playing right tackle. But maybe, Agreed. Maybe he the offseason will help him with well, that. He might have a decent offensive line coach this year. So what does that mean for us moving forward? We talked about getting another line, another body on the line via the draft. Maybe through free agency, that's kind of drying up. That's that's happening now. We're getting we're yeah. drafting someone because there's no yep. way we're going to go into the season with. I mean, this two level three weeks that. ago, Pete Carroll and John Schneider came out and said, you know, all listed all the bodies on the line, and Gilliam was there. Yeah. So and so they're going to have to pick up a tackle specifically because right now our tackles are Jokel, Fant. And maybe Fetty. a Fetty. Fetty's playing tackle. Now. Right now, a Fetty has to play right tackle. A draft pick is the only thing that could push that off. No. Which, even if a Fetty plays right tackle, we're still talking about Fant being our primary backup. That means we're Ugh. drafting a tackle. Ugh. George Fair. All right. Marshawn Lynch, watch. So many stupid stories. Yep. Coming out this week. Here's the big one, though. He officially has applied for reinstatement to the league. That is happening. And where the, there is expected to be a trade at some point. So, yeah, I can't can't wait for this to be over. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's a good chance that this Marshawn Lynch affair is part of why we couldn't match Gilliam. Because it's playing with our cap numbers. Yeah, we owe him $9 million against the cap right now. And cutting him doesn't do us any good either. So we have to work out a deal, and it's in both teams' interest to just work out a deal. It'll be a, what do you think, a fifth at the best, probably a six or a seven. Yep. I I, I think it's going to be a seventh-round pick. I I don't think we can hold out for extra. There's no point because there's no market. I know that you keep hearing these stories like, oh, yeah, Marshawn's interested. 
in the going to New England or Marshawn's interested in going to whatever team Richard Sherman gets traded to. And I think that's all attempts by, by Marshawn Lynch's agent to kind of do the Seahawks a solid and <laughs> drum up interest so that they can actually get a real pick out of it. Yeah, it's not, not like a work. seventh round compensatory. No, no one's believing it. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not happening. Well, I, there was a story that Richard Sherman wants to. Ed Werder from ESPN said that teams are working on trade for Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman. And I know that some people thought that that was Richard Sherman trying to get that out there to, to make his stock higher and getting the Seahawks to move him, which yeah. that's, it's becoming more apparent that Richard Sherman does not want to be here. You know, they also said that's frustrating. That, I'm sorry. ESPN also said that Mitch Trubisky should be taken over Miles Garrett at number one. <laughs> the moral of this story is ESPN is quickly turning into Bleacher Reports. I can't believe they wrote a, a legitimate think piece that was like had that as the thesis. That's it's 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 not shocking. That's ESPN. They're not they're not <sighs> Miles good Garrett is the best NFL defensive line prospect in so long. He's one of those guys who comes along once every five or ten years, and you're going it's to like Von Miller. It's a sure period, thing. flat out regret it if you don't take him. Slam dunk. Like every team regrets passing on Von Miller. What if Von Miller go third, fourth, and every team knew that he was really good, and they just decided to do something different? So, uh, whatever, man. And that, so that's how I feel about uh, the whole Sherman trade thing being built up. I think it's one of those things. Maybe the market's being explored. He's getting a little bit older, but. Honestly, I think this is going to end up being a big nothing because the Seahawks, rightly so, are asking a lot for him because they should. They should ask for a lot for him. Yeah, if we don't get at least a first-rounder back, it would be a letdown. It needs to be a first-round and. First-round and a dude. I don't mind if the and is is lame, like if the and is like a third-round pick next year. Sure, but it has to be like a first-round and because the first-round pick, all that does is replace Sherm. Well, I don't want... I don't. I really don't want him on the Patriots. I don't want him in our division. I don't want him. I don't want to be able to see Sherman a lot. If he goes to the Saints, cool. I mean, cool. I'd rather have him here, but you know, I don't want him on the Patriots. I don't want him on the Falcons. All right. So let's uh, let's go over some NFL news now. I think that's all the Seahawks news there was. Anything? No, I missed. I think we're good. Okay, so. We've got, I want to ask you guys like a philosophical question. Andre Johnson and AJ Hawk both signed one day contracts with the Texans and Packers respectively to retire with a certain team. Do you like one day contract to retire with a team or do you think it's stupid? I am a disproportionately large fan of this. I just think that there's something symbolically good about kind of cementing your loyalty. You know, it's the same reason why I dislike the fact that the player doesn't choose which team he goes into the MLB Hall of Fame with their hat. I think it's one of those, you know, this is kind of the player's chance to go, you know, I spent a lot of time with a lot of teams. This is the team that I most identify with. And it is stupid. But, you know, if we really want to boil it down, sports are stupid. And this is the right kind of stupid. I agree with Kevin. It's it's symbolic, and honestly, it's just fun. It's the person that you loved, and everyone wants to see back, and and it basically says, "Hey, I belong to you, fan base." It's it's a good thing. The MLB Hall of Fame thing, they do get to pick their own hat because I remember Randy Johnson talking about why he picked the Diamondbacks. So they at least I thought they got a say in it, but they don't get to pick it. Well, who was the guy who uh, who played for the Yankees for so many years, and he went in as a Padre? Who uh, who am I thinking? Okay, this is ten times ten times Hall of Fame cap decisions made it. Dennis Eckersley, people furious. Dennis Eckersley, Gary Carter, 
Reggie Jackson? No, no, it wasn't Reggie Jackson. Uh, Andre nope. Dawson, Carlton Fisk, uh, Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, and Nolan Ryan, and Frank Robinson. And there it Dave is. Win- oh, Dave, Dave Winfield. Winfield. It was yeah. Dave Winfield because rumor is, <laughs> rumor is, is that uh, the Padres offered him $1 million to go in as a Padre, and he said, yep. People, you know what else? Good for him on that, too. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. has a Mariner's hat on backwards. As he should. So you can't even tell it's a Mariner's hat. Um, all right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> How do so you feel on this one? One-day contract, Eric. What, what do you think? Oh, I, as I said, I or, agree with Yeah, I agree with I hate him. Why do you, <laughs> why do you hate him? Stupid. Why? Because you, you're going to be associated with the team anyway. Uh, if you want to be associated with the team, like try to get a front office job with them. Uh move your family to the town, do charitable work. Like just, it's just like go to the team's media marketing team and say like the, the whole like one day contract thing is the part that bothers me. Just saying oh, like, so like a one year final. I wouldn't mind if better. they made a press release that they retired with their team that they preferred and say like, I'm retiring in my heart as a Packer. That is just as symbolic. And to like, me, that's the same thing though. It's I guess. just so corny though. They signed a one day contract. Like, and they and they do the whole thing too, where they get them out and they have them yeah, sign a piece of paper. It's like, definitive though. If you I don't know, if you had the thing corny. where you it talked about like you know them saying I want to retire with my team, then you know idiotic news places would say, "Well, was the team okay with this one day contract?" Just ends it all. Says, "Hey, this is where you belong." All right. Well, I mean, I think that you they they say that anyway. What I would like is some guy to say, "I want to do a one day contract to retire as part of this team," and then the other team to say, "No." That would be my that would be my favorite. Is it happening um, with Charles Oakley in the Knicks? All right, big NFL story. You ready for this? This is my favorite NFL story of the week. Christian McCaffrey declined all workout requests. Good for him. How do you feel about this? I feel one hundred percent in favor of it, Eric. I don't get it. Please explain to me, Kevin. I. Uh, what does he have to prove? He has so much tape. He's done all these interviews. He's been under the microscope. All these workouts are for is to basically see how many hoops you can get a guy to jump through. If we're not going to criticize running backs for coming out as soon as possible because of the wear and tear they're putting their bodies through, then we can't criticize them for stuff like this either. Look how many players got hurt at pro days, um, senior days, uh, training for the combine. And so here you have a guy. What's he have to prove with it? Why does he need to work out? I, I have no problem with this. It, me, it immediately screams like prima donna to me. Yeah, fair or unfair? I'm just saying that's what unfair. it looks like. It feels like Joey Bosa. He to did me. the combine. If he didn't do the combine and then did this, I would be like, oh. But he already showed all his physical tools off at the combine. He doesn't need to do it anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's kind And of there are team interviews at the combine, yes? Yeah, and he's still doing yep. interviews. You know he is. Okay. He's just not going and doing on-field workouts. Yeah, he's just not doing any more workouts. Showing up in jeans, not shorts. Yeah, he's just he's <laughs> done. He says, nope, if you, you want to see me, watch the combine, watch watch my tape. I'm out Put my there. name in YouTube. Uh, Pro Football Focus says that they think that Christian McCaffrey should be the number two player taken in the NFL draft. Um, <laughs> this guy soared <laughs> to the top. Wow. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of people disagree. A lot of people have him closer to like 15 or 20. Um, I think that he does... He runs really great routes. Let me just start with this. He runs. He might wide... be the best route runner outside of like Corey Davis. Yes, he runs wide receiver style routes. Mm-hmm. He's, he is a fantastic route runner, um, and a very good running back. The whole field is going to tilt around him, no matter where he ends up. Uh, he is he is a game changer on offense. 
I don't know if he can tote the rock every down, but he can be on the field every down, which is almost as good. Um, so I don't know. I kind of like him. I don't mind it, to be honest with you. San Francisco at two is going to need to do something, and the quarterbacks are not appealing at number two. So I could totally see them being like, hey, let's take this guy and kind of start building our offense around this dynamic, excellent player. You know, the big rumor is San Francisco has been trying to trade out of that two spot. And if they were to trade back into the late top ten and, and then, still get him, yeah. that would be a big win for them. It's pretty awesome, yeah. Because they need a lot of secondary help, and that can be found in the second and third rounds. And those are the types of picks you could get for moving back six spaces in the top ten. Well, here's the thing, Kevin. I mean, they've got they've got a brain trust there now. They got you know John Lynch running the show, so he's that, is that a joke? Yes, it is. That was there was a smirk there. Big smirk. They also have your boy Pat Mahomes at number seven, Kevin. Yeah, I have some opinions about uh, Pro Football Focus's <laughs> ranks. I think they should stick to ranking NFL players. Uh, That's my opinion. They got us taking a Kella Witherspoon, though, and I love it. All right. In the first round? Yeah, dude. He's like borderline first round now. No, he's not. He's moving up. If you're Pro Football Focus. No. In the same, world where, in the same world where Pat Mahomes is a top ten pick, Kella Witherspoon's a first rounder. And we did and we did interview him, too. Uh, all right. Uh, sad news. Dan Rooney. NFL owner, Steelers owner, total legend, um, just a, the one of the two guys who voted against the Browns moving to Baltimore. Uh, he's just he's he was like a great NFL owner, like one of the few, one of the two, you know, like or three. I'll say again, this is an old white guy who is as a legacy for having a rule named after him that is basically don't be super racist. That's a good legacy. Yeah, and also like one of his best friends is, is former Pittsburgh cornerback Ike Taylor, which just is like so funny and so cool to me. <laughs> it's so good. Like there's pictures of them together, like just I don't know, just him being an old man and <laughs> and Ike Taylor being Ike Taylor, you know, just like it's just they're just so great. So um I, I appreciate Andy or uh, sorry, Dan Rooney. I almost screwed that up. Yeah. Dan Rooney is was, you know, one of the top he was one of the anchors of the nfl and if the more you look at it in a lot of ways he was kind of one of the moral rudders he was like a cornerstone owner and we are out of those now we're darn close well i think it's more like the next generation has to start stepping up you know who are those people that are going to be taking the the reins and be the next set because uh ford passed away for detroit uh, the Giants lost their Mara, owner. Yeah. Yeah. And now Rooney's gone. And uh, also Ralph Wilson with the Bills. Yep. And Al Davis years Ralph, before that. Ralph Wilson, legit, man. He, I like the way Ralph Wilson uh, took 30% of his stadium and said, This is for Browns fans. I want you to wear Browns gear. Come to all the games during those two years that the Browns were not in the NFL. It's like, <laughs> man. Genius move. That's smart that's, move. That's so cool. Like, yes. He's just, he's just basically saying, Hey, disgruntled Browns fans, we, we understand. Come complain loudly in person because he's the other owner. And go that, to David Buster's. Browns move. Well, and that's the that's the smallest market in the NFL, and uh, I think. And the guys, you know, they've been trying to say, just move to Toronto. It's not that far from Buffalo. And he was like, no, like no, we're Buffalo's team. Yeah, uh, they're they're pretty great. Um, yeah, uh, rest in peace, Andy Rooney. Maybe his daughters will take over the team. The actresses. <laughs> oh, you Rooney, did it, Rooney Mara. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> You you went you and double you said Andy Rooney and Rooney Mara you went you went you went two for two on 
stupid. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> it was pretty great. Good. That was right. amazing. Okay. You get the hat trick. Um, here's another funny NFL story from this Mickey week. Rooney. Uh, R.I.P. Came from NFL.com. Uh, they gave Jamarcus Russell a blank CD. Yes, and they this asked, is so good. And they asked him... Wait, who did this? The, the, the Oakland Raiders. Okay. They gave him a blank CD and they this said... Is this af- is after they drafted him. They said, this is your video game plan. Would you... Would you like, or what did you think of it? They gave him the, the thing. The blank disc. Blank disc. Just a blank CD. What did he say when he gave it back? He said it looks great. <laughs> wow. How do you feel about that? Uh, where do you, where do you start on this? I mean, so they gave him a, they gave him nothing. They gave him a blank disc. Just to test and see if he'd actually look over the footage. And they, and this is after they drafted him, yep. which was probably the wrong move. Should have done it before. And they still let him play games. But they, well, he was well, he was their top pick. What I understand, do? Kevin. Just but cut him in training camp. Can't can't you just hype him up to the Browns at that point? You know, <laughs> the poor guy. It was cold. What's he gonna do? He doesn't play cold weather. <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. That's that guy. That guy had so many physical skills. That, that guy flop could... is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh my no, gosh. this is he is the. A number one warning yeah. around looking at one game worth of tape, which was his bowl game, his final year in college, and looking at all of the combine stuff and going, yeah, that's what makes a great quarterback. I mean, Kevin. No, no, it's not. You're right. I mean, but Kevin, look at all of all his positives. Big, strong, hard to take down, accurate, deep ball. Accurate short game corner, and these are all these are all good things. Yes, like you're right. That's can't, all accurate can't miss, in that right? one game. Yes, and in, in, in flashes. <laughs> but if you look at his college career, nah. Poor, poor Raiders. All right, um, my uh, my last thing. I accidentally just closed the window, so you're gonna have to give me like. Three seconds. Okay, so just uh, talk about talk about. Hoxton's correction. Uh, Nathan meant Dan Rooney, and Rooney Mara is an actress, uh, formerly of the uh, Giants ownership. But wait, Rooney Mara does does own like her dad does own an NFL her, team. Right? Her father, who passed, owned the Giants. See, there you go. Um, what was that? What was the other thing I had? I had something that a funny other funny story. And oh, this week in New England Patriots, how do they do it? General Manager <laughs> edition. All right. They're not even up against the cap. They're like sixty million under the. Ca- they're so far under the cap. They convinced Danny Amendola to take less money for next year. How do they do it? Explain this. They to took me. advantage of his concussions. I don't understand why he would say yes. They're not even. They're not even going to sign new players with the money. It's just basically just savings. They uh they extended James White for three more seasons too. Oh, it's so irritating. Well, that's this weekend. New England Patriots wait, general wait. manager. How do they do it? In related news. He also won Executive of the Year for the fourth year running. Maybe they just really want to keep that award going. The only thing award. that makes sense. <laughs> All, All right, right, so let's do it. give me give me some plugs, Kevin. Plug so me up. We're talking about patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest, or just search for Seahawks Nest on there if you'd like to give us a little bit of money. We know with that busy holiday weekend, not everybody got the listens in last week, but make sure that if you do listen, please share, please like. If you have a chance, a little bit of time, give us a review. Talk to us. We're five, lonely. Five stars Talk on, to us. Five stars on <laughs> iTunes, y'all. Get it. 
But thank you again for the, uh, the, the support that we've seen over the last couple of weeks has been great in the Reddit community. A uh, few new people on Patreon. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We'll do our big shouts for the first one of May. We'll run through the list. But. All right. That's. You covered it. You nailed right, it. We're good. You're the best ever. All right. Ready? The best we're going to talk about a movie around. that you can, you can probably see in a theater this year. A movie celebrating its 25th anniversary. A movie with almost all white people in it that's for some reason <laughs> still has the N-word in it. That's right. It's Quentin Tarantino. Back in action. <sighs> Quentin Tarantino. Uh, it's Reservoir Dogs. All right. Reservoir Dogs. It's the 25th anniversary. It's coming back to theaters. Lots of theaters. Uh, you can. It's actually, there's a theater within driving distance of us that we can go see it at. I, that I'm might not, happen. I'm not going to do that yet. Because closer to October, when the movie actually first came out, they're it's gonna they're gonna do a bigger, wider release. But um, I hope they do it with uh, the better audio. Yeah, I want to. Oh, I want to hear those those classic sounds of the seventies in uh, in high audio. All right, so Kevin, uh, first of all, Reservoir Dogs. Where does it rank in your uh, pantheon of Tarantino movies? Is it top five? It's top three. Top three. Okay. And it has a really good argument for one. Sure. It's- there's a lot I enjoy about this movie. I feel like it balances its cast really well. I feel like um, Roth's really good in this. You know, uh, the wolf is amazing. Always good. Harvey Keitel. It's this movie is purposefully a collection of scenes, but in such a different way than like Pulp Fiction is a collection of scenes. And Harvey Keitel got this movie made. Like, yeah. He's the only reason this movie ever got made. This so, is Tarantino's first movie. It is. And Steve Buscemi is so good in this movie. So how did Harvey Keitel get this made? Because so, I do not know the story. Here's what I okay, so Lawrence Bender, who is like uh, Quentin Tarantino's longtime uh, producer associate. They've worked together forever. Uh, he, They were working on the script together. They were going to film the movie like... Clerk style for like thirty grand. They're going to use like all black and white film. They're going to film it. Uh, Lawrence Bender's going to have to act in act in it. You know, every they're both going to have to act in it, not just Tarantino, <clears throat> because they're going they're, they're trying to get the movie made. Uh, Harvey Keitel sees the script, and uh, I don't know if he's friends with Lawrence Bender or Lawrence Bender's in an acting class with him or something like that. It's something like that. And then Bender, uh, and then Keitel loves the script. He thinks it's great. So then he helps fundraise for the movie. He help, he goes and helps find people. Uh, he to produce. he actually has an exit. He got an executive producer credit on the movie. And Harvey Keitel uh, is not. Uh, I don't know if he's a household name. He's not a, a like an A list actor. He is an amazing character actor. He's been in a ton of films, films you've heard of, films you've never heard of. You've seen him a billion I mean, times. He's he's never won an Oscar, and he should get a lifetime achievement award. He is amazing. Yeah, he got a, he got nominated once for playing Mickey Cohen. For uh, for an Oscar, but never actually sealed the deal. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, basic plot is that it's a bunch of guys. Uh, it's a heist movie. It's doing, that doing, already bumps it up a doing little. Doing a heist, and the heist does not go so well. And basically, you're supposed to dislike most of the people in the movie. Yes. The the ethos of the movie is these guys are all kind of scum. Michael Madsen is the most scummy and plays it up really. He well. is quite evil. Uh, Steve Buscemi plays a great, <laughs> uh, a great piece of crap. 
He is an awesome weasel in this movie. A neurotic weasel. I love Chris Penn in this movie. Chris Penn is excellent in this <laughs> so movie. Good. Chris Penn's best movie. The nice guy, Eddie some Cabot great, thing. some so great tracksuit sportage. Rest it, in peace, Chris Penn. This was your this was your best shot for sure. Yeah, this is the closest Chris Penn got to Sean Penn. Uh, there's so many parts of this movie that are really good. The beginning with the phone book is always a classic one to bring up. Tom, uh, the Tommy Ma- Wong, the, Tommy the, Ma- Chong. Ma- the Madonna rant. Uh, yes, that Quentin Tarantino gives oh, I the, think, the tipping good. the waitress thing. How many people do you know who've actually brought that up? I feel like I kind of bring it up like it's a serious thing. That's yes. my worst part. It's like <laughs> you realize that this is making fun of people who don't tip, right? Like the whole ethos <laughs> of this whole scene is that he's making fun of. Is that Steve Buscemi's a piece of crap? Yeah, this guy in this movie, he's literal garbage, and he's saying he shouldn't tip. Like <laughs> you, you do realize that's the point of the scene, right? It's like it's like just blows my mind. People don't get that. But with all all you know, first efforts by directors as they progress in their careers, their style. You can look back at their first movie and you can see something with Tarantino, and this is not a knock on him at all. I feel like his films are very formulaic in a way that you're going to have a rant about something that probably has nothing to do with the movie that will fit that most of the time will fit in. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. (laughs) It will fit in the movie somehow. You've got great actors being pulled from all different genres into one movie. You're going to have a guy that, or I should say a guy or a gal that some people have forgot about or. An underappreciated actor that is brought back um, in Django Unchained, I think of like Tom Wopat in a bit part. The guy from Dukes of Hazard, of course. Uh, Don Johnson. In, Don in Johnson Django. in Django, exactly. Kevin's favorite actor, John Travolta, from uh, his f- favorite movie, Face Off. Guys, I'm a hitman. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here shooting people. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, in in Pulp Fiction, and in this movie, you've got. Uh, you know, Tim Roth cutting his teeth early in his career. You've got Harvey Keitel in this iconic role. You've got Chris Penn, like I said, John Buscemi. Is that Steve Buscemi, not John Buscemi? Michael Madsen. Michael, uh, Madsen. Michael Madsen. And the Chris Penn, Michael Madsen dynamic playing off each other was excellent all throughout the movie. And who is the, who is the old man, the, the ringleader of the criminal enterprise? Isn't that Lawrence Tierney? Okay. Yeah. The guy who sounds like this. But it's like a, he's like an old school actor. Like yes. Like yes, old, he is. He was like an old Hollywood guy. Though. And that's basically and Tarantino is saying, like, I want, I, I wonder if Tarantino had a list of people and he couldn't get a couple because so Tar- Tarantino always does this when he makes a movie. I know this about Tarantino. He writes the role for a person. Yes. And he always lists off three people he would take in instead. Now he gets the people that he wants, usually. You know, I mean, Django, he wanted Will Smith, famously, or whatever. Will yeah. Smith said no. But, uh, like, he he, he get, usually gets the guy he wants, or the guy that's in his top choices. But back then, he didn't, and uh, he had to settle a lot, or be creative. And that's, like, how he ended up with, you know, he ended up reviving John Travolta's career in Pulp Fiction, you know. And stuff Do you know like some that. of those names, Nathan? Of what? Of like the actors that he missed on that he uh, wanted. in this movie. I'm not sure that like he, I did not know Will Smith for. I'm not for sure Django. that he did that, but I I know for Pulp Fiction there is like a uh, Pulp Fiction Dream Actors list that he made. There's the Notebook is out there. Uh, uh, SNL famously did a skit about this where they were they were fake casting a bunch of people in the role that Travolta eventually got, including the maid Alice from. Uh, the Brady Bunch. Okay, here's his here's his uh his, <laughs> his cast list for uh for Pulp Fiction. I have this one on me. All right, so Pumpkin, uh, he wanted Tim Roth. 
he would take second choice was Johnny Depp, but he would take Christian Slater, Gary Oldman, Nick Cage, Eric Stoltz, or John Cusack. Wow. Uh, for Honey Bunny, he wrote uh, for for Amanda Plummer. They would pick, wanted Patricia Arquette, Lily Taylor, or just Jennifer Jason Lee, Bridget Fonda, Phoebe Cates, or Marissa Tomei. Let me just interject and say those other actors, some of them are in Pulp Fiction and other roles or have shown up in other movies. Right. Uh, Vincent go. Vega, or Vincent, Michael Madsen, but he has John Travolta listed as a strong, strong, strong second choice. That, that worked out pretty good for him, that Michael Madsen couldn't do that. Uh, I do wonder what Michael Madsen was doing that he couldn't do that. Uh, Jade Dragon 2. I, <laughs> I don't know. Some, <laughs> some Showtime action movie. movie. I could try to figure it out, but I don't. I don't really want to reverse engineer this and make this. No, I'm good. All about. I, I will say that uh, Vincent Vega no, is. Respond to us on Facebook or Twitter if you know. <laughs> I will say Vincent Vega is mentioned in Reservoir Dogs. The um, character. So it just goes to show that these worlds are connected. Uh, right. So Lance, he wanted John Cusack, but he got Eric Stoltz instead. Uh, Jody. Uh, Jody, it says that he wants. That's Eric's he has like wife. a bunch. He has a bu- a big list here. The drug dealer's wife. Uh, what about Bruce Willis's part? But see, that's the thing. It's only this page, this first page. Okay. And you can see through that he wanted Harvey Keitel for the wolf, but you can't. You can't really see the the rest. So. Oh wait, here we go. Here's a, here's another pre-approved cast list that he made. These are people that he would accept like sight unseen. So, uh, like the Mia role, he doesn't even have a. It does. There's no uh, Uma Thurman even on here, so they must something must have happened here. That worked out for him, though. All things sold. Jules, his first choice, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> then Sam Jackson, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> but like I said, Tarantino. Tarantino's creative with his casting. I think is the point of this. Like he's used. He uses actors in ways you kind of unexpect, unexpect, don't expect. Um, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, there's not a. Uh, it's not a twist in Reservoir Dogs. They they kind of let you know early on the. The, the play as it is. I, that's another thing I like about Reservoir Dogs. It feels like a stage play. Well, yeah, especially yeah. because the big action scene is completely off screen. Yes. That's a very, that's a very stage play thing to do. Yes. To, to not show you the climactic scene like that and just imply that like, hey, that, that action scene would be cool, but it's not what this movie's really about. Yeah. And you have to do a ton of inferring. And in that way, it reminds me of like an old school detective novel where you're reading through and you have to constantly piece things together. And sometimes it's blatant and sometimes it's not. And like you guys mentioned, it has that stage play aspect where it's like a character comes in and gives you information because they have to explain it to the other people in the movie. Yeah. So you don't have like this awkward narrator moment. Instead, you're finding things out as other people are. All right. So, gentlemen, favorite scene or favorite part or favorite aspect of this movie? Um, I like the Mexican standoff kind of thing at the end. Uh, just that whole scene where he, he's and the dying mythos and he tells him he's a cop and like that. I think that dramatic reveal is kind of like a very uh, great, well filmed scene. I'm gonna get. Uh, I got a hot take about the whole thing in a minute, but I want you guys, since it was a question for everyone, I'll let you guys answer this first. Uh, <laughs> I will say my favorite aspect of this, eh, I don't know if it's my favorite. I'm going to point it out, though. The names of the members of the heist. Mr. You, Brown? You don't That's know like them. like Mr. Shit. Yeah, Mr. Brown's like Mr. Shit. Uh, Mr. Pink? Mr. White? <laughs> Mr. Orange? Yeah. Mr. Gray's on another job. Yeah, that's you're Mr. Pink. <laughs> if I say you're Mr. Pink, you're Mr. Pink. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing in the movie, but it's also a way that 
they wanted to make sure all these guys who didn't know each other could remain anonymous and pull off this heist. And if one like person, yeah, if one person was caught, they couldn't ID anyone else. And that that starts to backfire as the movie plays on. But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful aspect written into this movie. That opening title sequence where they play that little green bag song. Uh, that yes. that's pretty good too with the slow motion that i thought yeah. was the first time i saw it i was like what the hell is going on this is so weird and it's i was that young but baseline too yeah dun, 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 dun. yeah but it's uh it's great kevin i like all of the background things happening in this movie the underlaid soundtrack where it's you know, it's a long holiday weekend and we're going to play nonstop music that 70s channel the when they're all eating breakfast together and having their different conversations. Just like the mundane. When they're in the room rolling out the different names and what color you're given. When Michael Madsen comes in and they're having that BS session with Chris Penn because he just got back out of jail. All of these but- side moments that are like the character builders are just so well done that it makes the action sequence feel better. By the way, the uh, the person who is the DJ in the the radio DJ is excellent comedian Stephen Wright. Yes, uh, which is uh, <laughs> just if you were uh, curious, uh, movie does have a good soundtrack. Um, I agree with that completely. Uh, you know, you never think of Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you the same way. It's the only thing movie. you can think of when you hear it. Um, I hate uh, that part of the movie. What, well, <laughs> it's I think really this, well filmed though. I, yeah, I think this movie. And most of Tarantino's movies are a little overrated by everyone. Uh, I think that they're not quite as good as they purport to be. But this movie is important because it was pretty mainstream and very violent. Yep. Which is pretty, which was pretty uncommon. And, uh, it was a really big success for an independent movie. And I know, like, it only made, like, a couple million dollars in the theater, but, like, it has had, like, pretty lasting impact. Uh, the, the 10th anniversary edition of the DVD was like, I remember it being everywhere. Oh, they have I, a different copies with the kid. different misters on the cover. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it was a, oh, it proved that you can make a movie like this and do it this way and still be very successful, which I appreciate. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I like, that's my hot take though, is that I think Tarantino is a little, a little overrated. Um, Okay, maybe really overrated. Really? He's overrated, but I think his older movies. Here's the other thing, though. I Pulp think his Fiction, older movies have more charm. Pulp Fiction than his is newer a fantastic movies. film. Like I, I'll put it up against almost anything. I love Pulp Fiction. I would agree with that. I don't think is. I'm not gonna say they're overrated because I've enjoyed all of them except for the ones that I haven't enjoyed. You gentlemen know. I will say no. This is crap, and this is why. And. But the ones that I love, I won't say they're overrated. I'll say they're awesome. I mean, I do love Kill Bill too. Like I, I think that there's just yeah, like you're, like you're saying, he's hit and miss. Like and maybe and this, maybe this, like, maybe this one falls in the upper middle. It's not a, quite a hit for me, but it's not a miss either. I agree. That's I would sure. put it up there with Pulp Fiction. I, I think Pulp Fiction though is the maximized ideal of what this movie is trying to do, mm-hmm. and that's why I put Pulp Fiction ahead of it. But I, I think that I would put it as my number two. Just because I feel like this movie, you know, we talk about a movie having some soul. This movie has a lot of soul. I, there's a lot of charm in the workarounds. This is, uh, along with Pulp Fiction, the only two of his movies, I feel, that the titles are mysterious. 
or there's like a little mystique to them that kind of piques your interest. Whereas, um, you know, uh, he just started give, he just started giving the name of the movie. That's like the thing that happened. Yeah, in the movie. Jackie Brown, Kill, Kill, Kill Bill, Kill Bill, Django Unchained, Unchained. which is a, kind of a stupid name for Eight a movie, fold. honestly. Eight, yeah. And noun, now, verb, noun, adjective, <laughs> four rooms. What about? Okay, let's talk. Let's go fringe a little bit. What do you guys think about True Romance? Now he did not direct that; he wrote the screenplay. Right. Yes, I think True Romance Tony has Scott directed it, which is a good director. So much, so many weird, awesome Tarantino characters. Something about the visual style of that film really bothers me. But Gary Oldman, every scene steals the show, as does <laughs> Samuel Jackson. It's such a weird movie. Yes, it's out there. When did that come out? Ninety six. Romance came out in ninety three. Ninety three. And I. Uh, also, it's Christian Slater in his probably best acted role next to maybe Heather's. And Broken Arrow. And <laughs> how dare you. But it's still, I don't know, it's Christian Slater and I'm not, he just isn't ever really believable in much in his younger days. I don't know, he was really believable as a chain smoker in uh, Interview with a Vampire. <laughs> Touche, Kevin. <laughs> I think brooding chain smoker was really well done. The only time I think Kevin will ever bring up Interview with a Vampire. I own that movie, I'm not ashamed. I like it. Interview with a vampire? You're not. Yeah. Oh, John, uh, Nathan will cover this another time. All right. Good. Maybe are you going to give us? It, maybe we can cover it in the From Dusk Till Dawn podcast. Okay. Are you Are you going to give us uh, Natural Born Killers? Like interview with a vampire or From Dusk Till Dawn? From Dusk Till Dawn. Okay. Interview with a vampire. <laughs> <All right. laughs> anyway, are you going to talk about Natural Born Killers because that's another Tarantino written movie? I have a feeling that's going to end up being its own thing. I do not. Care for that? I don't think True Romance was going to be. Hey, Eric, I really want to get you to rant, so maybe we'll do Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. All right, for uh, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Santo, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks!